Hello, I'm Anna Richardson and this is It Can't Just Be Me. Now look, what you need to know about me is that I'm really, really nosy. I'm nosy on the telly and now I'm going to be really nosy on a podcast because on this show, I ask you to send in your deepest, darkest dilemmas and I rope in some very special guests to help me unpick them. We're going to be talking sex, we're talking friendship, family, parenthood, everything. But whatever the topic, you're going to be able to relate to it. And today's dilemma is no exception. It's all about a breakup, serial monogamy, guilty as charged, and the question of whether you can ever truly be friends with your ex. This is It Can't Just Be Me. Hi, Anna. Hey Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. I've definitely got menopause brain. I really want children and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle. I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? Now, to help me unpick today's dilemma, I've invited someone very special to join me in the studio. She's not just a celebrity, and she's not just an expert. She's both. The iconic Mel Schilling is a love and relationship coach on the TV show Married at First Sight, where she helps new couples find their feet. She's also the author of The C Word, which is a new book, a manual for building confidence. But while Mel is an expert, she's also had her own fair share of dilemmas in love and dating. So she really knows her stuff. Without further ado, let's meet Mel. Mel Schilling, you Aussie Wonder Woman, you welcome to the very first episode of It Can't Just Be Me. Now, listen, I am excited about plundering your depths of knowledge. Are you excited? Plundering my depths. I know. Anna. I know, I'm right? really excited. Well, listen, before we get to this week's listener dilemmas, this podcast is called It Can't Just Be Me. Mm-hmm. So naturally, we've asked you to bring your own It Can't Just Be Me yes. dilemma. Come on, what have you got? Okay. It can't just be me. I am beside myself over people who have no spatial awareness. <gasps> You're going down the escalator, they get off the escalator and they stop. Right Right, in front of you. Right in front of you, and everyone piles up and bumps into them. Or the people who stop in a doorway. Does this extend also to personal relationships? Because the minute you said that, I just, Mm -hmm. my boyfriend immediately sprang to mind because he really winds me up. He'll stop, we're walking Mm -hmm. together, and he will walk in front of me and stop. Or we're in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. and he just crosses in front of me. And so I have to, I bump into him. Kitchen behaviour is a Big one. I noticed that particularly with my man as well. Maybe it's a man thing. Do you think so? I think they're just a little bit more self-absorbed and we're just built a little bit more, can I say, empathetically, you know, from a spatial perspective. We're more, I think we're hardwired to be constantly scanning our environment, looking around because we're all about caring for other people and, you know, juggling the mental load and carrying on what's going on in our environment. I think we are just more tuned in, whereas blokes can go a bit internal and just go, I want food. Yeah. Or I'm looking at my phone, one track. You're right. Mm. So maybe what we're saying is women are just more considerate. Look, that's Perhaps a good name for your podcast. We could change it to that. <laughs> Listen, I could talk to you about this all day because mm-hmm. it's one thing that really, really winds me up. We are mm. actually here to do some work. So yes. 
You're here today because one of our listeners has sent in a dilemma that really struck a chord with me. And I have got a very good feeling that you are going to totally sympathise and no doubt been there as well. So if you're listening and you want to send in your own dilemma, you can go to itcan'tjustbeme.co.uk and leave us a voice note. But this listener actually didn't want us to use her real voice. So I'm going to read out her message instead. Rachel writes... It can't just be me who is newly single and feeling confused. Until recently, I was in a five-year relationship. We had some amazing times together and bought our dream home a couple of years ago. Everything was great. I loved spending all my time with him and really thought he was my forever person. But around a year ago, I started getting little thoughts of doubt. I shared some of my concerns with him and expressed my need for affection and a bit more of the guy that I'd first met. He'd changed quite a lot over the course of our relationship, but the doubts came to a head after a holiday when I realised that this relationship wasn't making me happy, and if I continued, I'd be settling. Mm. Continuing the relationship would have been easy to do because he was an amazing person and we had a great life, but the horrible truth was that I didn't love him anymore. So I broke up with him. It's been hard, but I know I made the right decision. I still think he's an amazing person and I'd love to broach a friendship at some point. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's possible? And how would I go about it? So just to recap, Rachel has made the big decision after five years. I mean, you know, that's Mm -hmm. a long time to leave what sounds like a very, very comfortable relationship. And now she's wondering if she can actually stay friends with her ex partner. So let's just start with that that really big leap of faith mm. which is leaving. Leaving. So whatever the circumstances and we've all been there but whatever the situation ending a relationship takes real courage doesn't it? It does and isn't it interesting that she came to this realization on a holiday. Mm. I think a lot of people experience this. It can give you that kind of helicopter view of your relationship. Is this a scenario where the two of them are in this relationship, it's been five years, and perhaps she's growing and he's stopped, or maybe they're growing in different directions? Because we all know that happens in relationships, and I've I've certainly experienced that myself. And it doesn't mean that it's a bad relationship or that they're a bad person, but you've just moved in different directions and that relationship no longer serves you. That might be the case. Tell me, have you ever had to make that decision Mm. to leave a perfectly comfortable, perfectly good relationship? You know, I have. (gasps) And it was my first significant relationship with the beautiful Marty, the most gorgeous, gorgeous thing. And we were together between, I think I was 19 and 21, 22. Yeah. So really formative years. And we were just best mates and Mm. real, but great lovers as well. We had this really great relationship. But then I I was in uni and he was kind of dropping out and I kept going on and studying and want to improve and create a bigger life. And he was really content to stay where he was. Oh, okay. And I think if I'm really honest, I'd say that I did get bored. Yeah. I wasn't getting that intellectual stimulation. And of course, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that then. Um, what did I do? I kissed his cousin and then Love I think that. I pashed one of his mates in a nightclub at, yeah. Then moved on to his dad. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Now, I tell you yeah. what, if you had met Marty mm. later in life, would it have worked? 
I'm going to say no. Okay. I think I would have I would have liked him as a person, and I definitely would have enjoyed spending time with him, maybe in a work environment or something. But I I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been stimulated by him. Oh, I, I wouldn't be now. I mean, immediately what springs to mind actually is. I think it's straight away of, of my long-term ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. Charles, who I'm really good friends with now. Right. We were together for 18 years. And actually, I mm-hmm. think that in the end, we were starting to live just parallel lives. Mm-hmm. But we were, you know, we were too independent of each other. We, I guess we yeah. were starting to drift. I think I did voice that I was, I was feeling a little bit unhappy, as was he probably, you know, if, if, if the truth were told. But I, I think that had we been honest enough and had couples counselling, I think we could have addressed a lot of the issues, Mm -hmm. but instead we separated. And there's part of me, just going back to to Rachel really, there's a little bit of me that wants to say, did you really want to split up with him? Or do you think that this, had he addressed your needs and shown you more affection, become more of that guy Mm -hmm. that you first met? Could you actually have saved this relationship? Mm. Because it's interesting that she ends her letter saying that I really still want this person in my life and can we still be friends? Exactly, because at no point has Mm. she said, I stopped fancying him. No. Which is a totally different thing. Is that not just part of a long-term relationship that you can fall into being really, really, really good mates? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we mistake that for not, loving somebody anymore because I think that rush of falling in love mm-hmm. you know we, we try and chase that for too long when actually yeah. naturally our relationships change they do they absolutely do we have that initial stage which we call limerence you know that's where it's all the oxytocin and the sexiness and you just want to rip each other's clothes off mm. all day every day and oh, we no. know that that doesn't last god long may it last <laughs> no it doesn't no you're right it doesn't <laughs> Which is why the the swiping of of dating apps is so addictive. Not only do you get that dopamine hit when you do it, you can stay, essentially stay in a suspended sense of limerence. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Right? So people who who are serial swipers, they don't actually move from that initial stage into any kind of connection with a person. It's just the the flight of fancy, the excitement. So we don't get beyond limerence. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely fascinating. But listen, the big question here is, is it possible to be friends with your ex and how should you go about it? Now, I'm really interested in this Mm. because I've been really lucky in that I've managed to stay friends with the two really big loves of, of, of my life. And in particular with with my ex, Charles, I spent 18 years with. He's like family to me. And we did Gogglebox last year together. Beautiful. And he just, he makes me cry with laughter. <laughs> but I see him now like a brother right. rather than, you know, the lover that, that I once had. Yeah. So I guess the question is, is it possible mm. to be friends with your ex? Mm. And can you be friends with all of your exes? I'm going to say, yes, it is possible. Yeah. No, not with all. Okay. I believe... Making a conscious transition from a couple to a friendship requires some real endings before the beginnings can start. You know, there needs to be a real boundary between this, this point in time was our relationship connection where we shared certain vulnerabilities and openness and were, you know, very emotionally raw with each other. Mm. And now we're going to have maybe some time out 
and then reconnect as mates with different boundaries, different rules and roles. And listening to Rachel's story, it sounds like she's not there yet. It sounds like she's wanting to kind of take some of what was in this relationship yeah. and turn it into a friendship. And I think that's that's got danger written all over it. Yeah, I totally understand that compulsion mm. to want to get it over and done with and just go, okay, I know it hasn't worked, but I still really love you. Let's be friends. But yeah. actually, that's really difficult to do. There has to be that mm. awful loss yep. in between. So you think that maybe Rachel's trying to rush into it a little bit too much? Mm. Look, I, I hope that Rachel listens to the conversation you and I are having and I hope mm. she hears that first bit about, you know, couples moving at different paces and 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 growing at different stages and, and maybe, you know, if there is a conversation and a renegotiation of the way the relationship works, that that can actually be an ongoing great relationship. She might revisit it. Now you're talking because mm-hmm. actually, all right, let's go there because mm-hmm. one of the things that she doesn't mention and is crucial mm-hmm. is what's going to happen when, for example, Rachel, he meets someone else. Right. You know, Are you going to be cool with the fact that mm-hmm. suddenly you're the ex-girlfriend, he's got a new love in his life? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is she going to be okay with him being friends with you? And vice versa, what if yeah. Rachel meets somebody new? So I think when we bring in that new love, mm-hmm. that really changes the dynamic, doesn't it? Yeah, because there's unfinished business. I mean, come on, we've all been there, haven't oh, we? absolutely. Have you ever been driven just mad with jealousy oh. by, by your ex's new partner? I can remember being so aware of the day he married her. <gasps> and I remember being at home in my apartment where I lived by myself, all alone, probably eating loads of chocolate oh, yes. and just getting through the day because there was nothing I could do to stop the day from happening it was happening. Are we talking about Marty here? No, this wasn't Marty. This, this was is a later has... one. No way. What happened? Yes. So this was the girl who was 10 years younger than me that no he replaced way. me with. Really? Mm-hmm. I hate them both. <laughs> and so who binned who? Did you finish with him or he finished with you? He finished with me <gasps> by doing it with someone else. With the, with the girl he then went on no, to marry? No, no. She was a, a later model. Yes. Oh, really? Mm. Okay, so later model, younger. Ten years younger than me. Gosh. Yeah. That's a slap in the face, isn't it? It is. So when you found out they were getting married, Mm -hmm. how did you feel? Oh, it was just that, because we did a lot of break up, back together, break up, back together, a lot of back and forth. And I think it was that last nail in the coffin that this is finally over. Oh, There's no. no hope left. It's over. I mean, it was a it was a wildly dysfunctional relationship anyway. Okay. So it was good. It was a really good thing for me, but it really hurt. But this is it. It doesn't feel like it at the time, does yeah. it? I mean, in a sense, that's a whole other podcast is those dysfunctional mm-hmm. relationships that are really addictive yeah. and really exciting yeah. and why they're so difficult to get out of. Yeah. And I'm really interested to hear you say, look, this was dysfunctional, yeah. but when I discovered that he was marrying this girl, it still was like a knife in the heart, yeah. even though it was much better for you not to be yeah. there. Yeah. And this is that that tussle between the head and heart or, mm. you know, the rational and the emotional. Mm. On a rational level, I knew this is good. This is good for me. This is a clear boundary. I'll move on now and this is going to be great. But at the heart level, it just, it just hurt. And did you find yourself with that relationship trying to make, trying to force it to work? Oh, for years. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, listen, Rachel actually had a follow-up question too, and this one is about dating. So she says, I've always been in relationships since I was a teenager. I've decided this is an opportunity to be single, but I do love being in a relationship. It's been a few months already, but when should I start dating again? Mm -hmm. So she's currently single after that five-year relationship. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like she's a serial monogamist. Uh I have so been there. I'm exactly the same. I've been in a relationship since I was about 17. And actually, thinking about it, I was only properly single for the first time in my life at 51. Wow. I know. And I tell you what, I couldn't handle it. I hated it. Hated, hated, hated it. Anyway, Mel, should Rachel have some time off dating? I know you've spoken about actually Mm -hmm. loving your single years before now in the public domain. My response is, hell yes, Rach. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Let's let's put a pin in what we were talking about before with potentially her partner. Is it over? Is it not over? Let's assume that it is over and it's, it's all finished. I love the idea of Rachel now saying, I'm going to dedicate some time to me. I'm with you on that, absolutely. Mm. Because you would know, Anna, as a serial monogamist yourself, mm. that sometimes there's not even a gap between partners. You know, yeah. even if there's there's no infidelity, there can be, you know, from a um, an emotional perspective, you're moving on to a relationship with someone else and you don't actually get that time out yeah. for yourself and time to stop, reflect what did I do well in this relationship? Mm. What can I learn from? What can I do differently? That's a really good point. Having that time and just, oh, I think it'd be so good for Rachel, particularly if there's a little bit of confusion over the last relationship. And wanting to be friends as well. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about you then, because you were single for much of your 30s. Is, mm-hmm. is this sort of post the guy that then married the young, much yes. younger girl? So you then went, right, okay, hell yes, I uh-huh. am going to be single and enjoy myself. Absolutely. What did you, what did you get up to? Well, it was pretty much 10 years of living this incredible, and I've probably got rose-coloured glasses now because <laughs> I'm married with a kid, yeah. but it feels like it was this single life. It was. You know, I got had this gorgeous apartment on Chapel Street in, in Melbourne, which is the fashion capital of, of Melbourne. Oh, wow. And I had the colour of your jumper, a hot pink feature wall that I painted. And I had my little sports car that I drove Amazing. around town. And I was just, you know, anything I wanted, I had, you know, just the most self-indulgent life. All my friendship needs were met. My family was there. I had everything happening. And nothing stood in my way. Wow. It sounds like mm. a sort of episode of Sex in the City. <laughs> I think that's what I was striving Simply for. <laughs> amazing. So, well, listen, what changed? When, when did you decide that actually I want to start properly finding the man of my life? Well, what I would say is, yes, I've just given this incredibly positive description of that 10 years, mm. but I could also go back and describe that 10 years as incredibly lonely. Really? Because, I mean, yeah. that's absolutely not what you've just described. I know. Sure, that was, that was part of the lived experience. But if I'm really honest, yes, I'd be out and about doing my thing, but I'd be back on my couch by myself on a Saturday night. It was the intimate connection that wasn't there. And I denied it for such a long time. You know, I would outwardly say things like, I'm single and fabulous. You know, Mm. I thought I was Samantha Jones. I don't need a man. You know, Mm. I don't need a partner. And I was trying to convince myself. That's interesting. 
That's interesting. When I look back at, at my year of being alone, which, hang on, must have been last year, maybe about 18 months ago, I oh, I mainly hated it mm. because, as you've just said, I was so lonely. Yeah. And I'm I'm not a lonely person. I really enjoy, you know, you can hear just by the way we're chatting, mm. I just won't stop talking. <laughs> I bother people <laughs> on the street. Mm. You know, I'm one of those annoying people. So mm. I was so sad and so lonely not having mm. my other half there. Yeah. to play with. Mm. So even though you know I had my amazing friends and I love my job, I recognise what you're saying, mm. which is just there's something in the heart of you, isn't there, of I just want to be loved. Yeah. I just want my other half yeah. to be with. Mm. So I get that. So how did you find your your husband? Well, I I got to about 39 and I do think it was the wanting my teammate, you know, yes. wanting my person to do yes. this thing called life with me. That that was what was driving me. And I was sick of, I started to notice my own patterns. Oh, in interesting. Dating. Okay. Yeah. I was going into these situations on a conscious level, telling myself, I'm ready for a relationship and I'm really excited about this date and I really want to meet this guy and all of this kind of positive stuff. But beneath the surface, I was putting up all these barriers and my girlfriends used to say I had F off written across my forehead really? when it came to guys. They'd come up to me, can I buy you a drink? And I'd be like, no, I can buy my own drink. Why would I want you to buy me a drink? You know, so really defensive. Though, yeah, mm. but even though you were ready to meet somebody. I at- thought I was ready. So that, that, that sort of subconscious behaviour you yes. were giving off was F off. Yeah. Don't need you. Yeah. So quite brittle. Yeah. Interesting. So what yeah. did you do to change it? Well, some very conscious things, actually. So I was at this point retraining as a coach, a personal coach, and then ended up becoming a dating coach. So I was doing a lot of work around sort of shifting mindset and learning a lot about mm. that sort of space. Yeah. And I started to become very aware of the masculine versus feminine energy in all of us and was very aware that what I was putting out toward men, and particularly on dates, was really masculine energy. So I wasn't, I mean, I'm five foot. How could I possibly intimidate anyone? But apparently I was getting the feedback that I was intimidating to men. This is fascinating. Mm, it's hard to imagine <laughs> a little old me being intimidating, but I, I think I was quite abrasive. Even looking back at the way I would dress on a date, it would be quite tailored and almost corporate Interesting. in the way. And so I made some really conscious decisions. I started wearing softer colours, maybe a frill, maybe even a floral. I even changed my perfume. It was soft and flowery and feminine and it just untapped something in me. Mel, I am so interested in what you're saying Mm -hmm. because in a very strategic Mm. and almost calculated way and a very self-knowledgeable way, you're saying, I recognised that all the energy that I was giving off Mm. was too aggressive, was too, in inverted commas, masculine. And what was the effect? I noticed I started to attract a different type of guy. So I wasn't attracting that guy who was wanting to, um, (laughs) in Australia we'd call him a wombat, because he eats roots and leaves. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. I think we call them fuck boys here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was initially attracting those and I stopped attracting those. 
that wasn't all I did. I also started changing the way I was representing my dating brand on my online platforms. Okay. What do you mean? So I started to lead with things like my values Mm -hmm. Because I was learning at this point all about, you know, dating coaching and what predicts compatibility and partners and all that sort of stuff. So it was like this parallel process going on. I was learning the theory, but I was also putting it into practice in my own dating life. Fascinating. So I thought, okay, I'm going to actually use my values here on my profile. You know, I think at the time I was really into things like having adventure, sort of flexibility, spontaneity in my life. And so I just made sure those kind of themes were scattered throughout my profile. And it really put off guys who weren't into that sort of thing, you know. Just scattering in other values that might be a bit softer or more adult maybe. What I was doing, I can see now looking back, is I was making the outside match the inside. Ah, that's interesting. Mm. In terms of Rachel's dilemma, do you think that there's an optimum time for her to start dating again? I would say to Rachel to be on her own until she feels that she doesn't need a partner. So having had that serial monogamous past, like yourself, getting to that point where I'm complete and having a great partner will just be an an additive to my life. I see what you're saying, actually. Mm-hmm. And again, if I uh, apply this back to my own life, even though I, I didn't necessarily enjoy the year that I spent on my own, mm-hmm. I definitely was getting to the point where I knew that I was okay, that I could do it right. without somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I made a conscious decision around, I'm now ready to meet somebody rather Mm -hmm. than, as you say, I need to meet somebody. And then, of course, I think that when you've spent that time on your own, you're then quite picky about what you will and will not accept Mm. and and put up with. Yeah. So you're right. That's great advice, actually, for for Mm. Rachel to say, you know, be on your own until you don't need that person anymore. Actually, you just quite fancy being with someone. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I know you're happily married now Mm -hmm. and you've created your family. So how did you meet your husband? Online. (gasps) Really? (laughs) And, And it was at a point when I finally got serious about it. You know, I took the mask off and I was honest with myself about what I really was looking for. And I only had probably four or five different dates with different people and I met him. And the difference was the intellectual connection. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So so what was it that you were looking for? What was that? An equal. Okay. Yeah. And an equal on so on so many levels, but also someone that I could learn from. Because mm. I felt that a lot of the guys that I was connecting with, I felt like I was teaching them something mm. or I was probably being incredibly patronising and condescending toward them (laughs) because I thought, you know, they need me. But I wanted to be with someone that I could see as an equal and learn something from every single day. And we connected and he lived in a different state from me, so we couldn't physically see each other yet. There was no video, you know, FaceTime or anything in those days 12 years ago. Really? And so we were just texting all day, every day. For six weeks. Wow. And I couldn't have a phone call with him because I couldn't understand his accent. No. Hang on, where's he from? He's from Northern Ireland. Oh, wow. (laughs) 
I tried. I tried talking to him, could not understand what this man was saying. You needed Google Translate. I pretty much did. I thought, no, we'll go back to text. So he was he was in Australia, right? He was. Right? Yeah, he was so in Australia. So Northern Irish, mm-hmm. living in Australia. Yeah. So you, you realise, okay, this guy's from Northern Ireland, but I can't mm. understand a word he's saying. No. no. That's <laughs> so what happened then when you finally met? We finally met and had this whole weekend of dates and dinners and lunches and the whole thing and just talked each other's faces off all weekend. And it was so easy. Once I got over the initial hideous embarrassment because I just let go and just did everything that I would tell my clients not to do, told my whole life story in a really high-pitched voice speaking really, 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 really fast. Oh, I was dying of embarrassment. But what he did, he just, he leant across the table, put his hand on top of mine and he just said, it's okay. You don't have to prove anything here. Oh, my God, I love him. And I, love I just him. went, oh, felt my shoulders drop. I love that. I didn't do the dating app thing, I think partly no. because... You know, if you're on telly, yeah. then it's a bit weird sort of going, oh, hi, I'm that girl that looks at cocks for a living. <laughs> <laughs> when I went on my first date with the guy that I'm seeing at the moment, I literally thought it was a job interview. I got my wires crossed with him because he he runs a charity and, and I really wanted to do some volunteering. Oh. So he said to me, why don't you come and have a cup of tea and we can talk more. And I took that to be... I'm going for a job interview. So I turned turned up in a suit with sort of like a notebook and was sort of eagerly taking notes. And he did a similar thing. I was sort of reaching across the table and taking my hand and going, let's talk about some other stuff. Let's talk about you for a bit. At which point I thought, oh my God, I want a date. (laughs) Mindset shift. I know. Complete complete mindset shift. But I love that about your other half, that Mm. you were just able to then... Just take a breath and go, yeah, okay, it's okay. Yeah. Oh, God. It's a good one. Now, look, I want to leave Rachel with some some proper advice mm-hmm. for her for her next steps. Okay. So what can she do today, Mel, mm-hmm. to help her situation, do you think? Okay. I think the first thing Rachel needs to do is spend some time thinking about the way she thinks. She might like to write a letter to her ex, not to send to him, but just for herself as a process of letting go. Maybe maybe burn it or, you know, put it in a river. But so so what about if she did send it to her ex, especially if if it was loving? I mean, I Mm -hmm. I did that with my ex, with Charles. Mm -hmm. It took me me a few years, Mm -hmm. but I I wrote him a letter just to say, look, perhaps I didn't behave amazingly, Mm -hmm. actually, towards the end of our relationship. And I am really, really sorry. Mm -hmm. So do you think sometimes it, it can be worth sending that letter? Because it's a lovely thing to receive. Absolutely. And I think there are two different purposes for writing those letters. I think when you wrote it, you wanted to seek forgiveness perhaps for some of that behaviour. So it it was about the dynamic between the two of you. Yeah. But here for Rachel, this is just about her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is her process of letting go. Yeah. And maybe part of that is putting in that letter, look, I think I could have done this differently or I'm sorry, you know, really... I guess starting to unpick her strengths and her potential limitations in relationships so that she can then start to take that into the next relationship. So I love first. that. I love that. Mm. Rachel, if you're listening, please do get in touch with us in a few mm. weeks and just tell us how it's going because we are a community on this show. Talking of which, I want to say a really big thank you to everyone who've sent in dilemmas for the podcast. I feel like we're already starting to build 
a lovely podcasty family. And mm. and that's what I'm all about, really, is building that family. So thank you. Now, Mel, I think we've got enough time to talk about some of the shorter dilemmas that our listeners have sent in. It's a quick fire advice round. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Ready. This is the first one from Hannah. So I'm 32 and I've always known that I want to be child free. When is it okay to bring that up on a date? When do you have the, do you want kids? Do you not want kids conversation? Is it date one? Is it date three? I have no idea. Help me out. Oh, wow. Wow. Hannah, you are not alone. This is a really big question. And I hear this a lot from women who are making this choice and men, in fact, who are making this choice to be childless. It's becoming more and more common. I would say there is no such thing as too early. This is a controversial (laughs) thing to say. If you're on a dating app, lead with it, write it in your profile, because this is actually a deal breaker for you. This is not negotiable. So why waste your time or someone else's time? Tell them up front. I'm totally with you on that. Thank you. Well, actually, Hannah, you are not alone, as Mel says. Um, A 2021 study of nearly 4,000 Americans found that a big chunk of that population is not planning on having kids. So in the study, 44% of adults without kids said that it was not too likely or not likely at all that they'll have kids someday. Wow, 44%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of those people without kids said that it's pretty unlikely that I'm going to want to go on and have children. So that number was up by 7% Mm. from 2018. So, you know, it's definitely on on the increase. There's a lot of people like you out there. Mm. So I guess it's bound to become less of a big deal over time. But I definitely want to talk more about this in in future episodes. Mm. So if you have a dilemma around choosing to be child-free, just like Hannah, then please do get in touch. You can find out how in the show notes. Okay, Mel, here's the next one for you. This is from Ruth. Hey, Anna. It can't just be me who has friends that always ask me for advice about their toxic relationships, mm-hmm. but then ignore every single word I say and continue to hang out with them. Oh, It's super draining to deal with. And I was wondering, does that make me a bad friend? Oh my God, I, I need to check who actually sent this in because, I mean, it could be any one of my mates that, you know, <laughs> over the last 50 years I've I've moaned to. Um, oh God, come on. Yeah. Oh, Ruth, how frustrating for you to sit there and give this advice and then watch your friend completely do the opposite. Do you know what I would suggest here? And I can't take credit for this. A wonderful, wise friend of mine gave me this suggestion to actually say to the friend, do you want me to be a friend here? Or do you want advice? Ooh, I love that. And give them the option. And if they say, I want your advice, then give the advice. And then you have recourse that if they don't follow it to say, hey, you told me you wanted my advice and you've not followed it. To be honest, Ruth, I think that, you know, it's your job basically, that you just, you have to listen to your mates, don't yeah. you? And you would, I would expect the same from my friends, that no matter what they're going through, no matter how relentless, no matter how many times they're making the same mistake with the same person, mm. you're right, you've just got to be a supportive, empathetic yeah. friend. And also think there, but for the grace of God. Absolutely. So listen, Mel, you are phenomenal. I could talk to you all evening, really. Um, there's a wealth of experience that you could just give to everybody here about how to navigate pain and heartbreak, but ultimately a rosy future. So thank you so much 
for being my first guest on It Can't Just Be Me and for sharing your experiences so openly as well. I really do appreciate that. What a pleasure. I feel very privileged being your first guest. I've popped your cherry. (gasps) Not for the first time. (laughs) So we'll be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, dear listeners, if you want to be part of the podcast, then please go to itcantjustbeme.co.uk and leave me a voice note with your dilemma. Or you can email itcantjustbeme at podomo.com. Whether it's about love, sex, ageing, family, motherhood, kinks, it doesn't matter. Honestly, nothing's off limits. And remember, whatever you're dealing with, it really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. The producer is Alice Homewood, with support from Laura Williams. The executive producer for Mags Creative is James Norman Fife. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. Don't forget to follow the show and to listen ad-free. Subscribe to Podomo UK on Apple Podcasts.